Do you feel beautiful? Do you look beautiful? Does one really affect the other? Welcome to Beauty Inside and Out with host Bonnie Bonadeo. In our show, we'll help you uncover your true self and unleash beauty that you never knew existed in order to be at your best, both inside and out. Now, here is your host, Bonnie Bonadeo. It was 28 and a half years ago, and I was heading out to go get a Christmas tree. And I had um, a home office, and my home office phone rang. And it was a Sunday, like a Sunday mid-morning. And I thought it was strange that any of my staff, they knew better than to call me on a Sunday. Um, But it felt like there was a reason I needed to go back into the house and pick up the phone. Um, And of course, my significant other at the time said, no, 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 just let it go to voicemail and you can get it later. And I said, no, I feel like I need to go get the phone. And when I ran back into the house and then picked up the phone, it was my sister on the other end. And she had shared with me that our brother had died. And she was incredibly upset in that moment. And of course, I'm just in shock now going, you know, why, what happened, what happened? And she's like, he was shot. And, you know, of course, the first thing you think is, you know, somebody shot him, of course. And she's and I said, who shot him? And she says, no, he shot himself. And I, I, I remember dropping to my knees in that moment and thinking, what? How could this possibly happen? He was 22 years old. He was at that point in his life where he was transitioning from, you know, kind of deciding to, you know, what to do, finish school, go back into college, get a job, um, move to California. I mean, whatever those things were, it's kind of, you know, it's that awkward age, I think, for a lot of us where we aren't the kid anymore, but we're just kind of coming into that adulthood. Now, today's his birthday. He would be 50 years old today, and I can't even imagine what he'd be like at 50 and what his life would be like. And I can tell you that the pain, the shock, and sometimes the denial of um, somebody close to you committing suicide is never an easy thing to handle. Of course, I immediately worried about how my parents were going to survive this. This was their son. This was their, you know, their, their beautiful son. And growing up with my brother, he was always a very happy child. Um, and there were no signs. And of course, there was no note and there was no significant event that happened recently that we knew of that would indicate that he was on the brink of wanting to die. Um, And so we were incredibly confused, as I think most people are when it comes to suicide. And we will have to live the rest of our lives trying to answer the question, why? Why did this happen? Um, And I know for those of you that have ever experienced this, you understand that feeling. Now, looking back, since it's been 28 and a half years, obviously our family is healed. We've stayed together. We've remained strong. We've done work with suicide awareness um, uh, uh, organizations to be able to help. We've been a part of Survivors of Suicide to be able to help other families cope with it as well. And we we really felt that that was a good healing process for us to be able to do. But here we are 20, 28 years later, and we're still asking the question, why? And I think at some point within a couple of years of his death, I think there were maybe signs that went unnoticed to us. Certainly never in a million years would we think that any of these 
subtle signs would turn into him wanting to commit suicide. But nonetheless, they were still signs that we might have overlooked. And they were they were simple signs, like he was just a little grouchier. Um, he seemed to have a little bit more anxiety. Um, he got angered um, easily. He seemed ultra-sensitive um, to things. He withdrew a little bit. Um, he started hanging around a different group of friends. But that was it. I mean, his friends were as shocked as his family was. Um, and there was really no answers at this point. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much time goes by. There's still that incredible sadness of what could we have done? What would have made this better? What would have made a difference for him to, you know, not make a decision that ended up being a permanent decision on his part? So I'm really honored to have um, my guest with us today. And that is uh, Dr. Noreen Marshall, and she is uh, highly qualified to be able to help the conversation. She's a psychologist, and her experience spans in clinical, educational, and professional settings. And she's been engaged in local and national suicide prevention work for more than 10 years. She's currently with the AFSP, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. She's been there since 2014. And um, you're expanding the menu of educational programs. So I'm excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I know that you have a, a story as well. And usually for those of us that, you know, get involved in this kind of work, we usually do have a story, don't we? Yes, that's, that's true. And, and first, let me say um, how sorry I am to hear about the loss of your brother. I know no matter how many years go by, it's not something you ever get over. You somehow just get through. Um, in 1995, I lost my fiance uh, at the time to suicide. And I was in graduate school. I was in a master's program in counseling. And I think just that sense that you shared of being really shocked by this and not really having a sense that there was a lot of warning that something like this was happening, but of course, looking back and seeing things that now that I know what I know now, I understand that, that he was ha at higher risk for suicide than I understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is, uh, it, it, I think that's what makes the stigma of, you know, suicide um, so difficult to talk with because there's always that hindsight of, I saw this, I, I didn't realize those signs would evolve to um, a permanent end. Yeah, and I think for anyone, it, it's very hard to imagine that someone you love is in so much pain that they're considering ending his or her life. I think that that's a hard thing for any of us to conceive. But we know that close to 45,000 people each year in the United States uh, do end their lives. So this is something that does happen. Um, and when it does, as you and I both know, it, that the impact that it leaves behind um, for the families affected, uh, it, it's life-changing. It's one that really um, can change a course of a family's life. Mm -hmm. It definitely did. And I know that um, I didn't know one person that had experienced a, a similar, you know, tragedy like this that was not shocked Um Mm -hmm. Some of the, the, you know, the few people that um, 
did have an indication, usually it was because there was, you know, some type of an addiction going on. And Mm -hmm. it was, and it really was, you know, potentially a matter of time before they were just going to go too far with the addiction. And it was going to result in, you know, dying from overdose and or harming themselves or others. Um, And I know that that, but it doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make it any easier because it still means that somebody is in pain and struggling and um, we are not always sure how to be able to help them. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think what can also be really difficult is that, you know, we know often suicide is connected to a mental health concern like depression or anxiety or uh, bipolar disorder, that, that that's a, a common link. But many times people will say very much what you said, that we saw a couple things, but we really didn't know what that meant or even after the person dies, often, you know, family and friends will start talking to each other and they all had a piece of information, mm-hmm. but there was never a time when everyone sat down and said, Hey, we're worried about this person. What do you think all of this means? Um, I hear that all the time that, that often there's these pieces of information, but it's hard to put that together and lead, and think that will lead to a person maybe attempting suicide. Absolutely. And I know that, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, we spent a lot of time at AFSP um, trying to educate folks um, to look for these different signs, but also to not be afraid to just ask if, if you're concerned about someone. I think a lot of us think, if I ask, you know, are you thinking about suicide, that that's going to put the thought in someone's head. And that, that's really not the case. That's something I have since learned um, since my fiance's death, that if I if I had a feeling something was wrong, it would have been okay to ask the questions. I think before that, I always thought if you ask someone directly about suicide and they're not suicidal, you might be giving them some idea. And we know that's not the case. Yeah. Now, you said that you were studying at the time that your fiance I was, passed away. Yeah, I was in a graduate program um, for, I was getting a master's degree in counseling um, at the time he died. And so I had some familiarity with depression and, and, you know, different mental health concerns. But at that time, there wasn't a lot of training even for counselors about suicide. So I never really put two and two together that my loved one, who I knew was depressed, um, would be thinking about ending his life. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think that we looked at it that he wasn't, you know, my brother, his name was Robert, and that he wasn't depressed, that we kind of just chalked it up to he's at that awkward age where he has to kind of start being adult um, and trying to find himself um, and, and looking for, you know, that opportunity to be able to step up and start leading your life. Um, But we didn't, we didn't necessarily see it as depressed. It's very hard because I do think it's, uh, particularly when um, young people die, and my fiance was was in his early twenties as well. I, I think it, it's hard uh, to understand it because they don't really have the full life experience. You and I are, are mm-hmm. much older than that, I'm guessing now, and and we can look back and say, well, at that stage of your life, like you said, you're still trying to figure so many things out that you may not have the perspective about that I'll get through this too, because maybe you, you just don't have the life experience to know that yet. Um, which is why it, it's, it is for me so incredibly tragic when anyone takes their life, but particularly when you know that the person didn't have the opportunity to see their way through whatever they were facing at that time. 
Mm-hmm. I was talking with a friend the other day, and I've known this person for 15 years. We've done business together. We've, you know, we've we've hung out together. Um, and I don't even know how we got on the conversation, but I had then just discovered in that conversation that we had last week that he also had a brother that committed suicide. And I thought, how is it that we could be friends for 15 years and not know this about each other? And it just kind of, it it, it goes back to that stigma of we're not talking about it enough and we're not maybe sharing the story enough so that people can relate to it and then have an understanding of the impact that it has if it's, if it's not talked about. Absolutely. And, and suicide is, is really complex. So I think there's also this piece that when people do not fully understand why something happens, there's this tendency to think if it happened to you, it can happen to me without really understanding how suicide happens or what, what could contribute to someone being at risk for suicide. I think many people just shy away from the conversation. I know I had similar stories myself where people I had known had never shared with me that they had had a suicide in their family until after my fiance died. And I thought, we saw each other every day or, you know, every Mm -hmm. couple of weeks. And how did I not know this was true for you as well? Yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's, um, it is one of those difficult things to talk about. And I think people are still, I think there's still some form of embarrassment by it because, we think we should have done something. So those of us that have survived it, we should have done something. And or we don't want to look at it as, you know, oh, there's mental issues in my family. So I, I, think, I think there is a bit of embarrassment around it for a lot of people. Yeah, and I, I do think that's one way that, that suicide deaths are so different from other types of deaths. You know, if your brother had died from an illness or, um, you know, had had a heart attack or an accident, we wouldn't have that same sense of, um, I should have done something different. Um, and we probably also wouldn't, you know, worry about ourselves in the same way that where I think when someone dies by suicide, it, it raises other questions. And often it's very common for, for people to have a sense of guilt or a feeling of what I call perceived responsibility that if I had done this, it may have had a different outcome. Um, and it's hard to know that. I mean, what we do know is that when a person it's feeling suicidal. They're in tremendous emotional pain, and that often makes it very hard for for other for what other folks say to even um, penetrate that pain. You know, for other for them to really mm-hmm. know they have support. Often, they just have this very kind of almost tunnel vision about their pain and only really wanting to find ways to end the pain that they're in. Yeah, and it's and it is. They're they're very good. They're very good at disguising the depth of pain that they're in. I think as well. Yeah, and I know in my case, you know, my, my fiancé was a very sensitive person, and I, I like to, to say I think the world tossed him about a bit more than most people, you know, in that he felt things very deeply. And because of that, I think it was also very hard for him to express how he was feeling. So mm-hmm. my guess is he, he was suffering and wasn't really able to put words to it or to let people know just how much. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There is there is a lot of it. Um, but you know, I'm I'm always willing to share the story um, because I think it has it has some basis for people to be able to understand it a little bit more. I mean, even in the work that I do as a life coach and a business coach, um, you know, sometimes we're just not successful in the things that we're trying to accomplish in life because we are carrying the weight of 
other things and other situations and circumstances that have happened in our life. And so there's always that healing process that we have to kind of, you know, step into before we can have the success that we want. And I just, I just believe that it, it, it suits me to be able to work with clients as I do, because I've, I've seen another side of this. I've seen some of the tragedy of this, um, and I've, I've seen the, the, you know, the concern that people just think they, you know, they can carry on and maybe not necessarily create or open up that conversation of how they're feeling or what they're experiencing. And I think it's terrific that your family, it sounds like, did get some support. You know, one of the things I think many people do not realize is that there, there is a whole community of support around suicide loss. Um, there's support groups, there's different events, our, our organization certainly is involved in several programs that help those who have lost a loved one to suicide really know they're not alone and to give them hope that you can get through this as devastating as this can be, that there are ways to heal through your grief. Um, and so I'm really glad to hear that. It sounds like your family was able to connect to some support following the death of your brother. Absolutely. I lived in California at the time and my family was in Arizona. And so I, you know, immediately flew home and, and was highly concerned about the, the my parents being able to get through this. You know, how mm-hmm. are my parents going to survive? He did it at home. Um, and so, you know, how is it going to disrupt the, this very simple, traditional life that we all lived growing up? Um, and they, 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 they got the help they needed. They remained strong. Um, my father is, you know, 80, 83 years old now, and he's, he's still in good health. And, you know, occasionally he makes a mention and it's usually just kind of a very off the cuff statement. It's, it's not thought, it's not, um, a conversation by any means. And he says, well, he goes, how I look at it is, you know, I probably have a few more years before I see my son. Mm, and yeah. and it's I think it's his way of of you know trusting that he's lived a full life and that you know if he when he passes that he's got somebody waiting on the other side. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's so hard. I think many families are lo- left with so many questions, like you mentioned. You know, more often than not, there is not a note. It's mm-hmm. you know, more often we do not have families that receive a note, and I think. Even when they do, it doesn't always answer all of the questions. Mm. In fact, it usually answers very few. So families are often left with this sense of how did this happen? Why did this happen? And, you know, what what could have prevented it? And I think that's a really common process for families to go through, asking themselves this question and kind of trying to piece together a puzzle that, that doesn't have all of the pieces. Um, yeah. That's true. And well, that can be and, that can be lifelong for people. Even though it, they heal, there's still always those questions. Absolutely. It is it is like it definitely is lifelong. I know that. Um, you know, so today is the day that I touch base with all my family because we still want to honor his birthday and and talk about him because that's still a very healthy thing for us to do is to be able to talk about him. So I, I know we're gonna take a break here, um, Dr. Marshall. And when we come back, I, I'd love for you to share with our listeners, you know, what are the real statistics of suicide and, you know, what do we need to know and, um, you know, how can we, how can we see the signs? I love, I love one of the things you're working on that signs matter. Um, I really, 
I really want you to share all of the details in regards to that. And just before we do go to break here, I did write this poem uh, for my brother when he was right after he died. And it goes, he was only 22. He had everything to live for and nothing to lose. If he'd made it to 23, would he be one day wiser and maybe free? Mm. And that's what we're left with. Yeah. So we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, we're going to find out more about um, how to be able to be more aware and also how to be more preventive to suicide so that no one else has to experience uh, sometimes the loss of a family member or a loved one. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you looking to uncover your authentic self? Looking to improve your communication, selling, or public speaking skills? Discover Naked Audience Productions trainings on public speaking, leadership, sales, and healing. Mastering the art of authentic communications can change your life in many ways. From promotions to profits to enhancing any relationship, whether it's business or personal, finding and speaking your naked truth is a beautiful thing. Visit www.napevents.com or call 877-319-2403. That's napevents.com or 877-319-2403. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Beauty Inside and Out with Bonnie Bonadeo. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Bonnie at BonnieBonadeo.com. That's Bonnie at BonnieBonadeo.com. Now back to Beauty Inside and Out. Welcome back, everybody. Yep, it's Beauty Inside and Out, and we are talking about the inside and sometimes why we don't feel beautiful and, and being able to look at why we matter Um, And I know that that can be a struggle for some people that are facing depression or have had something happen in their lives that they don't feel like they can heal or overcome. Um, But there are ways to be able to, you know, fight back is is what we say. So my guest today is Dr. Doreen Marshall. She's the vice president of programs for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. AFSP.org is how you can find them. And, you know, you, you're you leading new initiatives to be able to develop programs that have suffered with suicidal thinking and suicidal attempts. And and all of those I can see as very different areas because once people attempt and succeed at suicide, then it's there's, there's not much more we can do other than 
train other people to recognize the signs and everything. So I love that you're fostering partnerships with mental health organizations and training people across the country on on mental health first aid, which I, I like the way that's phrased, and that you're overseeing a new development of a, a, a new program called Signs Matter. And I, I, I want to hear about this. But first, will you share with us some of the the hard facts that we probably need to know based on suicide? Yeah, so as I mentioned, 40, uh, roughly 45,000 people last year took their lives in the United States. And of that group of people, those are people who died by suicide, but we know that over a million, and estimates are around 1.2 million attempted suicide last year. So mm-hmm. it's not only the deaths, although those are, are obviously devastating to families, but many families are affected by individuals who have made suicide attempts, and, and clearly many more than that um, struggle with suicidal thoughts or or feelings. So it's, I think it's a much bigger concern than, than people may be aware, and chances are, if you're listening to this program, you probably know someone who has struggled with either suicidal thoughts or feelings or may have um, even made a suicide attempt. That wouldn't be an uncommon experience to know someone who has been affected by suicide. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be on the rise. And, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, we're, we're, we're very tapped in. Um, you know, they're, they're making claims now that, you know, social media is affecting the mental health of our younger generation. Um, we know that firearms accounts for a, a high percentage of successes of suicide. Um, and, uh, and that, it's white males are accounted for seven yeah. out of the 10. Yeah. Yeah. So suicide doesn't discriminate, meaning folks across all races and all ethnicities, ages um, can be affected by suicide. But particularly in the United States, um, we tend to lose um, our older adults, particularly males, and our middle-aged white males um, are the, the groups that account for most of the suicides. And as you mentioned, on average, nationally, it, it's about 51% of all uh, suicide deaths are by firearm, which also tells us something about how people are ending their lives. Mm-hmm. So our education programs focus not only on helping people identify what we think of as potential warning signs or things that might indicate somebody's at risk for suicide, but also programs that help people understand how to keep their environment safe, how to ask the question if you're concerned about a loved one. Um, And we're really also trying to develop programming for people with lived experience of suicide, those who have struggled themselves, to help them be able to get support and have conversations with their family members about their struggles. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's really, you know, it's, I'm a big fan of saying, you got to speak your truth. You know, there are just times that you have to be able to speak up and say what you need to say. And, you know, all you can, all you can hope for is a really good person on the other end that will listen with compassion and guide them um, to maybe what are some best steps for them. Absolutely. And, you know, I think many people, if they've shared their feelings of, of feeling suicidal in the past, it may not have always been met with a welcoming response. And I think for some people that sends them the message of this isn't okay to talk about. Mm -hmm. So we really try and work with 
with individuals and with families to help them see that it's important to not only respond with support, but then also help that person get the help that they need. Um, and, and I think when people are met with a positive response, it kind of rewrites the narrative about this is something I can talk about as I struggle and that I don't have to be perfect or fixed and, and hide this piece of my struggle from others. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with that Netflix um, series that came out, 13 Reasons Why. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there was some controversy on it where it's like, why are we exposing this? But I thought that they managed it really well. Um, And the way that they kind of pieced it all together and then looked at it, that it sometimes it's not just one thing that puts, you know, puts us over the edge. It's it's a lot of little things that we find that we're incapable of managing. What What's really fascinating, after that series was released, it really, um, I, I know in my own peer network, I heard parents and their kids talking about suicide differently than I'd ever heard before. And so in that way, you know, it kind of put the topic right in, in everyone's living room. And I think, you know, in some families, I would say that that, made a topic that was previously taboo talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, others have shared concerns about, you know, well, how do people respond when those things are portrayed in the media? And I I think, you know, we really want to see the conversation be out in the open. And so, you know, there's a number of initiatives. We have one that we've partnered with a group called the Jed Foundation and the Ad Council called Seize the Awkward. And the whole idea behind it is to encourage young people to ask each other about their mental health, because we know that um, particularly adolescents tend to talk to each other long before they'll talk to an adult about their struggles. Mm -hmm. And so helping normalize those conversations about mental health and asking, how are you doing? But really asking, how are you doing emotionally, not just physically? Um, So, you know, I think anything that elevates the conversation where we can talk openly about mental health and suicide is really a step in the right direction. Yeah, I was I was going through a a stage in my life where I just felt like I was highly unsuccessful. I wasn't feeling well, like a lot of it, you know, issues in your tissues. Right. I wasn't feeling well. Things weren't working out in my life. It was kind of right at the onset of the recession that hit me very difficult because I just started my business. And I remembered I was I was at this event and somebody came up to me and they said, oh, hey, how are you doing? And I said, not really that well. And Mm -hmm. the look on their face was so like obvious. And then he went on to say, everything's fine. Everything's going great for us. We're doing really well type of thing. And just I realized in that moment that, you know, people have a difficult time. They don't know what to do when somebody says, I'm not doing okay." Right. And and I think that's, you know, so we all have a tendency to put on a mask and say everything's fine when it's not. And that's really, that's probably one of the bigger barriers for those of us in suicide prevention is getting people to just share what's really going on, um, because we know that's the best help. That's the best chance for connecting them to help. Um, and it's interesting, you, you mentioned, and I think this is an important piece, that you know, one of the biggest things we look for in ourselves and in other people is changes in behavior that, Mm -hmm. you know, you're experiencing some things that aren't typical for you or don't seem to be typical for the person you're concerned about. It can be changes in sleep patterns. It can be 
feeling more negative or angry or upset than usual. You know, if you start to notice, this isn't typical, this isn't usual for me or for someone I love, that's really an indication that it's worth exploring further and, it, you mm-hmm. know, asking someone else or if it's you really saying, you know, maybe maybe I go talk to someone about this and see if this is anything I should be concerned about. Um, we do it with our physical health for other reasons. If we have a pain and it persists, you know, in our foot, we might go get it checked out. But we don't do it as easily for our emotional selves. Um, but it's equally important. It's it is equally important, yes. And it seems to be that you got to jump through a few more hoops to be able to get the kind of mental health support that you might need with the way that. Um, our insurance plans are nowadays, but uh, well worth it. And and I know that there's you know still a lot of qualified people out there that um, certainly can be a good ear and a good support system to be able to talk to. And I know that um, one of my friends, he's out of the UK and he has um, he has a barbershop and he created kind of this, he gathered all of the barbershops together in his community and they started talking because, you know, they understand they all had friends that were, you know, emotionally not doing well at one point in their lives. And they spend um, time talking about mental health issues while the men are in the barber chair. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know the beauty, in, yeah, the beauty industry in itself is a is a great opportunity because you know we know, we know a hairdresser knows they see the nuances of somebody whether they're doing well or not. And I know that there's, there's there's a couple of programs that have done really well in in regards to domestic violence and domestic abuse, um, in the beauty industry. And I just think that suicide is another one that can be tapped into to be able to um, start the conversation or at least provide the information if somebody's in, um, you know, in, in a much dire straight situation. That's a really important point. You do not have to be a mental health professional to ask someone how they're doing and to really listen. And I do think, you know, where you have industries where people are naturally in that role, like you just described, but other groups, teachers that come into contact with students, coaches, um, you know, you don't have to have any particular professional role to really reach out and, and let someone know, hey, there, there's help for what you're going through and I'm going to help you find it. We, I may not mm-hmm. know how, but I'm going to navigate that water with you. Um, I think sending those re- reassuring messages when someone's struggling is really a key prevention strategy. Oh, um, absolutely. I agree with you on that, that, you know, like I said, a good, a good ear on the other end and somebody that can just provide a little guidance uh, to get them to the right the right support that they need. So what we know is that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. And all of this information, by the way, you guys, I'm getting off of this amazing website, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It has a lot of good, good um, support here. And um, what I understand, though, um, Dr. Marshall, is that that you're not the hotline service, um, that, but you're the resource to be able to get people to those type of organizations that can help them. Correct. So we, we have partnerships with a number of organizations, both in the um, mental health area and also specifically in suicide prevention. Um, the, the number that you're talking about is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, um, and that number is 1-800-273-TALK. Uh, T-A-L-K, or 1-800-273-8255. And that's another organization, but what they do is they're the uh, crisis line for across the country. So if you call that number 24-7, you will get connected to a live person who has training to talk to you. 
And you don't have to be, you know, and you can call if you're in crisis, of course, but if you're worried about someone, you can call that number and they can kind of talk you through it. So it's an important resource uh, in our country. And then, of course, our organization um, does a lot of educational program at the community level. We have chapters in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. And so if this is an air, something you're interested in, you can connect with a chapter in your state just by going on our website um, at AFSP.org. Yeah, and I know that um, a lot of people, they're, they're well-trained in in this conversation with people that might be in crisis or they know somebody that's in crisis because um, I've you know spent some time with um, some suicide hotline uh, organizations to be able to you know have an understanding of how are they guiding people, how are they directing them. But you know it's they, there has to be some outreach, and I know that you know suicide is getting a little bit younger, and you know we hear these stories on. On, on the news stations, you know, like some younger person in their teens was bullied and then they ended up committing suicide. And so we know that there's some factors there. What, what else can you share with us in regards to that? Well, particularly in adolescence, um, suicide is the second leading cause of death. And, you know, while we don't lose um, lots of young people in terms of numbers, it is a leading cause of death because young people typically do not die from other causes. Um You know, as I mentioned, suicide is pretty complex and there's no one factor. But what we do know is that adolescence is a time when, um, you know, bodies are changing. Um, They're also getting used to kind of the the importance of their own individual identity Mm -hmm. versus peer groups. I mean, there's so many things that are going on, but it's also a time when people might experience their first depressive episode or their first panic attack. And so you have kind of all these factors kind of coming together. And so we spend a lot of time in our organization also training parents, you know, what to look for and how, when does something seem more than just um, sadness in your teenager? We actually have an education program called More Than Sad, and that's the idea behind it. How do you know when this is something more than a typical emotional reaction that you might have in adolescence? How do we know when to probe deeper or when to to pay more attention? And a lot of it is really looking for those changes in behavior that I mentioned earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. Some other ones might be a change in like substance use. So in in adolescence, if you have a teenager who never used substances and suddenly is, um, that would be something to pay attention to. But it's also something to pay attention to in adult life if use patterns change dramatically. Um, sleep patterns, um, you know, feeling kind of intense feelings of anger. Um, if, if those things start to manifest more often and that's a change for a person, we tend to say this is a time to probe further. And if, you're, if you don't know if this is something to pay attention to, you can always take the person to their primary care doctor or to a mental health professional and have them do an assessment. You know, worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to find out this wasn't something that you had to worry about. But if it was, then at least you have a professional on hand to help. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So just before we take this, uh, our next break here, it's there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and that's 1-800-273-TALK. Um, and then note that, please, if, you know, if, if you've suffered a loss of somebody, um, 
You can also reach out to me as a life coach and you can follow up with me at Bonnie at BonnieBonadeo.com as well. So we're going to take a break. And and when we come back, um, Dr. Marshall, can we talk about a little bit more of the signs and then what we can all do to be a little bit more aware and support some preventative measures? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you looking to uncover your authentic self? Looking to improve your communication, selling, or public speaking skills? Discover Naked Audience Productions trainings on public speaking, leadership, sales, and healing. Mastering the art of authentic communications can change your life in many ways. From promotions to profits to enhancing any relationship, whether it's business or personal, finding and speaking your naked truth is a beautiful thing. Visit www.napevents.com or call 877-319-2403. That's napevents.com or 877-319-2403. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests or people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric Easy Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Beauty Inside and Out with Bonnie Bonadeo. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to bonnie at bonniebonadeo.com. That's Bonnie at BonnieBonadeo.com. Now back to Beauty Inside and Out. Welcome back, everybody. Um, We're talking about suicide. Not an easy topic to be able to share on Beauty Inside and Out, but I really feel as though it's it's a relative topic to be able to talk about, and not just because I had a personal story with my brother passing away. And then, of course, my guest today, Dr. Doreen Marshall, she's the VP of Programs at AFSP, um, and she also had um, somebody that was close to her, her fiancé, commit suicide. And so what we've shared up to this point is that there are signs, and I know one of the programs that you're working at is Signs Matter. And can we shed some light on what we should be looking for? And certainly this intersection of social media playing a role in it. Yeah, so I think one of the things that those of us in prevention um, know is that 
people often will mention suicide to someone. I think the numbers are somewhere around uh, of people who die by suicide, more than two-thirds actually mention to somebody that they're thinking about ending their life. So we pay a lot of attention about how people might put that message out there. And certainly social media is one of the ways that people may reach out for help. So it is very important that if you have a family member or a friend and they put some message out on social media that's rather cryptic or that um, may indicate that they feel like they're giving up or that they're um, thinking about suicide, that you take that very seriously because we know that that can be an indication of what the person is experiencing. And it is always important to follow up with that person and say, hey, I saw this and I'm wondering, are you, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you thinking about taking your life? Because um, mm-hmm. often what we, we know is that people will put information out there as kind of to test the waters to see how if people will respond in a supportive way. And it's, it, social media is one of the ways people do that. Yeah, so social media is a way to be able to kind of see the signs, and I and I I think that that's where it helps. Um, I think social media, on the other side, um, might be that people are sitting there spending too much time on social media, comparing themselves to, you know, celebrities and and other people that they don't feel that they're you know on the same level with, or they don't feel good enough next to, um, and that can certainly you know cause some issues. It seems that, you know, we often notice on social media that people will post when things are going well and, and you see fewer posts of when things are not going so well. And I think for the person on the receiving end that's reading those, there can be this skewed sense of mm. everyone else's life seems to be fine, but mine isn't, or everyone else is doing these wonderful things and I'm not. And so for somebody that's already feeling depressed, that can kind of reinforce, reinforce this sense of isolation and the sense of that they're feeling worse than anybody else and, and not really present the picture that we all have struggles. And so they may assume that their friend network is all doing better than they are and, and that can contribute to making them feel more alone or more isolated in their feelings of depression. That is a really good perspective on that because I hadn't thought about it that way. You know, I mean, it's, um, that most people do kind of, you know, they, they put out and pitch the things that are going well in their life. Yeah. And I think when someone is feeling depressed, it's hard to reach out because there's this perception that, you know, others are handling life better than, than they are. And again, it's a perception, but when it's reinforced by what people put on social media and when you have someone that that's they spend so much time on social media that it's their primary connection to the world. It can really skew that perception of, you know, how people are facing problems on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like on the website here, your website, AFSP.org, uh, and it's on the find support page. It's I've lost someone. I'm worried someone might be at risk. I've made an attempt. Um, my loved one has made an attempt. And I, I love the way you break that down to be able to accommodate, you know, all the different emotions that might be going on, not just with the person that's unwell, but certainly with somebody that is like, I think this is, I think this person is not well and I don't know what to do. Absolutely. And, you know, we know people are impacted by suicide in all sorts of ways. You may know someone, you may personally be impacted, you may know someone who has died. And so, you know, our website really tries to get 
to anyone that's been affected and, and who has questions about what to do and how to find support. Um, we also do a lot of programming for families who have lost someone to suicide in addition to um, people who have family members who struggle and those who struggle themselves. And if you go to any one of our events out in the community, and, and we have many community walks, you may have heard of our Out of the Darkness walks, which raise money to support suicide prevention, you'll find people that have been impacted by suicide in, in all different ways um, coming mm-hmm. together and really just acknowledging, bringing the problem out into the light. That's why we call the walks out of the darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's a, that's a, that's a really good name for that. Well, and you know, I want to take it even a little bit deeper. Um, if you don't mind, Dr. Marshall here, it's, we're looking at a very odd society now, you know, we've got people that might be depressed, might be showing signs of mental health issues, but they're not just committing suicide. They're going out and, and doing these horrific crimes and, you know, shooting people up in schools and Dunkin' Donuts and stuff. And, you know, we we then can see the trail behind in the, in the past that this person is unstable. Why is it the people that are closest to them don't see that there could they could be in danger? Well, that's a really good question. And, and let me start by saying that the vast majority of people um, who are suicidal are not a danger to anyone but themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned a few of the um, instances where there had been a, a murder-suicide, for example, and the vast majority of suicides are not murder-suicides. So I want to start yeah. by saying that. But, but the other piece, and I think this is what you're getting at, is that um, you know, untreated mental health concerns have all sorts of consequences, not only for the person, but also for people around them and the people who love them. And so one of the things we emphasize is just the importance of treating men- mental health concerns early in life and not letting it go or waiting to see if it works out. And I think often, um, both with some of the instances you mentioned, but also with many suicide deaths, you will hear family members say, well, we noticed something, but we didn't really think it was, was too much. I mean, you and I both said that about our own experiences. Mm-hmm. And I do think it really, um, we really need to take a proactive stance on treating mental health early when we see signs that someone may be struggling. Because for some people, you know, for many people, that's going to have a negative consequence. But for some people, it's going to lead to lives lost. And that's really where we need to pay attention. And I think just to add, we are, we live in a society where there's lots of stressors. And thinking about how someone who's already struggling is experiencing the different stressors that life brings, whether they're financial or or relationships or, or others, you know, um, to not, pay attention to mental health really sets people up for negative consequences. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that that we did uncover with my brother um, and hadn't didn't know, uh, his friends did, this was one of the pieces of the puzzles that we talked about in the first segment, you know, that, that one of the friends had told us that he would, he was on steroids. So he did kind of go through this where he was working out and hanging out at the gym a lot and he kind of bulked up. Um, and then and this is over kind of a year's time. So you, you don't notice it being like, you know, one day lean and the next day, you know, muscular. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went off the steroids and he slimmed down pretty quickly. And I remembered thinking, you know, um, you, you're, you, you're not as bulky. And it was just really the, oh, I'm not working out as much. 
Um, so we just kind of, you know, chalked it up to that. But again, that ended up being a substance that went into a system that could have played, you know, played a, a, a factor in being able to not be stable. Absolutely. And, you know, particularly if you're concerned about someone, um, substance use is a factor in many suicides. So it's something that, you know, we often also pay attention to, um, and particularly in the United States, with hearing about increases in the opioid use. And, I mean, it really, um, substances are something we also have to pay a lot of attention to in terms of what people are using and why they're using it and, um, and what the consequences are of their use. Perfect. Well, will you share with us again just a few signs before we close out our program today of what people should look for if they're concerned about a loved one or a friend? Sure. You certainly want to pay attention to anyone who's talking about or or saying things like they have nothing to live for or mentioning suicide specifically. Um, You want to listen for those kinds of statements. You want to look for changes in behavior, so changes in sleeping, eating patterns, um, isolating or withdrawing from others, uh, changes in kind of emotional expression where someone who's normally pretty uh, even-tempered might suddenly be lashing out or someone who's um, normally not very sad suddenly seems to be sad more often than not. So those changes in behaviors, changes in ways people express themselves, and certainly someone who seems like they might be depressed or or using substances, these are all reasons uh, to reach out and and ask and ask the question directly. Um, You're not going to put any thought in someone's head or harm them if you ask them, are you having thoughts of suicide? Um, So just to be that blatant with it. Absolutely. You know, I often phrase it, you know, I I noticed you're going through a tough time and sometimes when people are going through a tough time, they may have thoughts they just want to end it all. Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? Have you ever thought about suicide? Just kind of easy, you know, and and also helping the person understand that when under stress, sometimes people do feel that way, but that doesn't necessarily mean they will take their lives. It's an opportunity to get help and and to to treat what they're going through. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing is, if you're concerned about someone um, and you believe that they may have uh, something in their environment, such as a firearm or, or pills, and they might take their life, to take an extra step and try and um, separate that person from what they have, whether it's talking to them about storing it safely and maybe giving the key to someone or um, just kind of keeping those things out of their reach with medications, maybe disposing them or storing them off site. Um, Just because when people are going through a tough time, you don't want that added risk factor in their environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. Will you also share with us too um, that suicide hotline number again? Sure. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and that number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And there's also the crisis text line where you can text um, to get help, and you can just text the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741741. Oh, perfect. I love that because, yeah, there's a lot of texting going on with our younger generation now. And then, of course, the, if you're wanting to find out more information about suicide, the the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, uh, where uh, Dr. Marshall is employed as vice president of programs, chock full of information here, and that is AFSP.org. Thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate you hearing my story and sharing yours as well. Thank you. It's my pleasure.
Mm-hmm. So stay with us, everybody, because next week we're going to start talking about some good eating. We're going to we're going to focus in on the inside with a quality meals that you can make um, to be able to feel better. Because I know sometimes our diet can play a role on how we're feeling when we're not feeling at our best. So join us next week on Beauty Inside and Out, www.beautyinsideandoutshow. And remember, it's always about being you in beauty. Thank you for listening to Beauty Inside and Out. Please join your host, Bonnie Bonadeo, again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.